are starting a new series. It's exciting to be a part of what God is doing at Northwest. We have been studying the Christ-centered church for the last nine weeks, and we begin this really new and fun and exciting journey towards Mission OKC. Um, this, this was kind of a dream of ours uh, almost a year ago that we would be able to pull something like this off. The thought process was maybe, just maybe, we could get all of our church, every single person from children all the way to our senior adults, on one weekend to be focused and to be on mission for Christ. And this is kind of shaping up into a reality, but we know that if we try to do anything on our own, in our own efforts, it will fail. Therefore, we need the power of God and we need to ask for his favor upon his church before we go. And so we've, we've lined all these booklets up, and these are prayer booklets. We did 30 days of prayer prior to Easter, so you guys understand the concept. But this concept is 30 days of praying the promises of God of what He wants to do. His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have 30 scriptures and 30 prayers that we join together as Northwest Baptist Church to pray and ask the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, to move amongst his people through his church. We began this journey in 2019 with the scripture, God's vision for his church in 2019. And the scripture was this, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go humbly before our God in prayer, seeking his face in prayer and in fasting, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning in the Scripture, so that God will be glorified in and through His church. We're asking the Lord to move in the hearts and minds of not only us as His church, but the people in which we will encounter through Mission OKC. I can't wait for it. I'm telling you, I'm excited about it. It's 30 days of one voice crying out to our God for our church and his work here at Northwest Baptist Church. Every movement of God begins in prayer. It is the God-ordained way in which he has chosen to act according to his will. When God's people pray, he hears them and responds. He raises people up, people of prayer up, only to respond to them and come in power. In 1806, five college students got together twice a week 
at Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts, during the Second Great Awakening. It began raining while these college students were um, praying in their prayer meeting, and they, they said, we can't stop our prayer meeting. We've got to continue praying. We know that the Lord is hearing us. So they, they gathered together under some haystacks in a barn. I, I don't know how this worked, but I think haystacks were on, on some shelves here, and they gathered together underneath the haystacks so the rain would not come down on them. And at that meeting, they call the haystack revival meeting, prayer meeting, these five men felt a call from God to go to the nations. And out of this haystack prayer meeting, five young men grew the American foreign missions movement. They made a plan to create the first foreign mission sending agency in America. And four years later, that was a reality And they began sending missionaries all over the world from America. Can you believe that? Five men sitting under haystack, praying and God revealing what he wants them to do. Praying for God to move in a mighty way. Let me ask you this question. What do you think God will do in the next 30 days? Will he call some of you to go to the mission field? Will he turn you to your neighbor to share with them? Will people repent and confess their secret sins? Will he begin to restore relationships and marriages that are broken? Will he change the hearts towards his church? Will he begin breaking down walls in our children's lives? The reality is we expect God to move. We expect him to come in power. We expect him to do what he wants to do. Matthew 24, 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I believe that the text this morning that we are going to look at in Matthew chapter 6 answers a lot of questions about prayer and fasting, not only showing us what not to do, but also showing us how to do it and the heart behind it, the why we pray and why we fast. So let's dig in together to see what God wants to do in and through our lives in the next 30 days in Matthew chapter 6 verse 5. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. It's page 811 in your Bible in front of you. If you do not have one, we'd love for you to look on with us in Matthew chapter 8, verse, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us this excerpt on prayer and fasting. Here is verse 5, chapter 6 of Matthew. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, 
They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You may be seated. Let's pray to get started this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Father, help us to see what prayer is. Why we pray, Father, as your people, God's church, Lord, help us to understand the importance of it. Father, call us to a love for you. Liven, awaken our hearts to who you are, that we may just pour out in love and pour out in fellowship and communion with you in prayer and in fasting, that we understand our need for you, Father. Just like breathing, Father, we pray that we would understand we need to pray. Lord, help us as a church to be people of prayer. Not only in these next 30 days, but our entire life fixed upon our Heavenly Father as our Heavenly Father. Lord, give us the strength that we need to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever thought about this question? Have you ever thought to yourself why it's hard to pray? If you really want to embarrass most Christians in the local church, just ask them how their prayer, private prayer life is, right? There's a awkward shuffling in the, in the seats, right? I mean, it, it is... Difficult. And, and some of us look at this passage and we think to ourselves, yeah, I, I know the Lord's Prayer. I've prayed that every day of my life. I, I pray before every meal, before I go to bed, I pray. But, but you know what? This morning I'm really more interested in my fantasy football draft happening tonight. Or I'm really interested in my TV show I have recorded 
Because we're not really talking about a prayer life that just happens. Not one that is just existent. Not one that is just routine or trying to get by. Francis Chan, a pastor and author of the book Crazy Love, said that he was speaking at a local college worship night. And he would do this often. And he said that there was one girl who was there. And it seemed like every time he went to speak, she became more and more passionate about worshiping the Lord. I mean, she was really, really into it. And even though she had done it countless times, it was like she was experiencing God for the very first time. There was something different about her. Even when she was just a part of the worship team. He said he went up to her one time and he asked her the question, it seems fresh to you every single week and it's new to you. And he asked her, how do you do that? How, how is God new to you every week? How, is, how are you engaged that hard into worship? She said, when I have great time with the Lord, I don't say, God, give me what I experienced last week. And would you duplicate that again? Instead, I say, God, you are the creator. And won't you make something new? Won't you make my worship experience new? Why don't we do that in our prayer life? We focus and put our effort into our prayer life to where our walk with Christ is growing. And he's making our prayer life new. So whether you've learned or looked at the Lord's Prayer a hundred times, or this is your very first time, let's ask God together to make our prayer life new. Not just a checklist, but an experience with the living God who cares for each one of us. Let us enter the throne of the majesty of glory. These next 30 days, let us commune with the Lord in ways in which we have never done before. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses prayer and fasting, and he looks to the heart. He looks at the very heart of prayer and fasting. This is what he says in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not, like, be, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is our first point this morning right here in this text of Scripture as the Lord is explaining to us how we ought not to pray, the same time he tells us why we should pray. Prayer begins with a love for God. Prayer begins with a love for God. He tells us how we ought not to pray with an outward focus upon our self, making others like us, not like the hypocrites. Jesus doesn't want us to pray so that we can see, be seen by someone else. May that be our spouse. May that be our children. May that be our, 
our church. Oh, oh, how spiritual you are. Because the Christ-centered life and the Christ-centered prayer is not about us. He says, I'm tired here of people using God to further their career, their status for their own benefits. People, Jesus doesn't just want people to pray to gain others' respect. Because God is not just a means to an end. He's... Some people treat God as a means to an end for anything. A good life, a good marriage, a stable career to avoid hell. Let me ask you this question. Is God a means by which you get things? Is he useful to you or is he beautiful? Do you pray to him because you want to commune with the one true God Or do you just pray to him because you need something from him? I mean, all these are good things, and we should ask for these things from the Lord. Family, career, a good life. But if your relationship with the one true living God is nothing more than a business partner that gets you to where you want to go, but you don't have a relationship with him, guess what? You're probably not going to spend time in prayer communing with your heavenly Father. Verse 6 says this, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Guess who sees you? Guess who is there in the secret? Guess who is the one that rewards you? The Father. God himself. You see, those who love God and want to know this God more intimately, more deeply, want to commune and talk to the Father. That's why prayer begins with a love for God. You understand the mercies of God. You understand the grace of God. You understand that who He is. But Rob, I, I, I love God. And sometimes when I go into prayer... And I'm, I'm guilty of this. I begin praying, and about one minute and 30 seconds into the prayer, maybe it's one minute and 38 seconds into the prayer, I go into this time wart, and my, my brain begins focusing on other things other than what God wants me to focus in on, on Him. And I begin concentrating on prayer, thinking about the, the prayer that was passed in the football game in the fourth quarter last night. And all of a sudden, this causes my, my stomach to growl because my mind goes to the tailgate tacos we ate before the game. And I'm trying to refocus my mind upon prayer. And I'm thinking about my family only 32 seconds later to remind myself that somebody needs to pick up my daughter at dance at 4.30. Maybe you can relate to that. 
And all of a sudden, the sweet hour of prayer has not been so sweet. This is a problem for two reasons. One is how much we pray is a thermometer for our love for God. And prayer is the way that God accomplishes his will through our life. Here's a good quote. Samuel Chadwick, The Path of Prayer, he says this, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. Prayer brings the fire. It brings the rain. It brings life. It brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. In verse 7, Jesus gives us an example here. Another example of what not to do. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard For their many words, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We understand this. If we had just the right phrase, or if we just worded it just right, had the right key, or if we said it loud enough, or if we said it eloquently enough, then God would hear us. That's not what God says here. The idea is that that the thought process here is the Pharisees and the Sadducees might have thought, I'm sorry, the Gentiles here, that God is hostile to them. That he won't hear us unless we do it right. Or unless we're holy living. Unless we say it right. But that doesn't take into account the gospel, the finished work of Christ in which he reconciled us to himself. We have access to the throne room by nothing that we have done, but by the grace of God. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in prayer, we don't rest upon how good we pray or how eloquently we pray or how loudly we pray, but only on the grace that God allows us to call out to him as our heavenly father. And God doesn't need us to proclaim our needs to him. He knows them. That's what he says here. He says, for your father knows what you need before you ask them. He knows our needs. And yet you may ask the question, why do we pray? If God already knows our needs before we even ask him, then why Do we pray? And I think he answers this not only in verse 8, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him, but also in verse 9 as he begins the model prayer. 
Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is point number two this morning. Prayer happens when we understand God as our Father. Prayer happens when we understand God as our Father. So if we don't really love God, we're probably not going to pray. But again, if we don't understand God as our Father, we probably won't pray either. You see, God is our Father. Jesus declares him as such. In the Aramaic, Abba means daddy. I think about my own life when I think about my father and many fathers in this room, and you're actually to picture this to your children and understanding what it looks like to Love unconditionally because they are your child. I think about my own life, my father. No matter how hard of a game I had, no matter how many mistakes I made on the basketball court, my father would always tell me he loved me and he would encourage me. Sometimes he would tell me lies like, you played great, son, And I think to myself, are you watching the same game I did? But the point is, I never felt like I had to earn his affection. Even when I failed, he still called me his son. You see, this is what Christ has done for us on the cross. He has given us the ability to call God our Father. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' work now makes us righteous. Now we are declared children of the living God. John 1, 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we live now as children of God because of Christ what he did for us, the one who was righteous taking the place of the unrighteous so that he could bring us to God. So we begin to pray to God because of who he is, the Father in heaven, rather than trying to appease God. We have lots of kids in this room this morning. If We had 75 kids last week, third grade and under, so we have probably a plethora of young ones in this room. I'm going to ask you guys a question. If you had to describe God in one word, what would it be? One word to describe God. So if you're coloring or whatever you're doing, little children and adults, how would you describe God? What would it be? What would the one word be to describe God? Would it be awesome? Would it be glorious? Would it be policeman? Would it be creator? 
Would it be judge? What would it be? Jesus says, the Father. Father. God is our Father. Wednesday nights, we looked at Genesis 1 and 2. We're doing a study through creation, through Christ. And God has always been Father. He didn't become a Father just at creation. He has always existed as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is the triune God, the Trinity, triune God existing in perfect fellowship and in love with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. That's why God is love. In his very being, he exists in love. Love is going forth as part of his nature. We were then created to share in that love. But something happened in the garden. We sinned and we made ourselves enemies of God. But God brought us back to himself through Christ, right? Think of it this way. You can think of God as a divine policeman. And everybody probably had experience with this. There's probably a few people in here that have never had a ticket. I am not one of those people, and that's okay. But here's the deal. You can think of God as this divine policeman. You come to him, and he has the traffic cams. And he pulls up the traffic cams, and he says, Son, this is what you've done. And you negotiate with him to reduce your sentence. That's somehow some people view God. Or... You can view him as your father who sent his one and only son to purchase you, who loves you, who gave his life for you. Guess what? That changes the way that you view God. It should also change the way that you pray. The gospel changes the way that you see God. You see him as your father. Now, that doesn't negate that God is in heaven. He sits on the throne. It doesn't negate the fact that he is holy because we see this, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But guess what? Everything flows out of this prayer from understanding God as our Father in your prayer life. Guess what? You can pray with God as the focus if you're not trying to appease Him, but you love Him. You can understand that He is the one who is in heaven, the almighty God who is in heaven. He is the holy one. His name is to be praised. You can pray for God's will to be done because he is the good father. You can pray for God's provision in your life because he knows what you need. You can pray for God's protection in your life because he is the one guarding and protecting not only your salvation, but who you are. 
So if you think of God as your father, the rest of the prayer makes complete sense. But guess what? If you're just doing this for yourself, if you're praying, God, you're a good business partner. Here's the things I need. Let's let's do this so I can accomplish this. Guess what? You're missing the fellowship and communion with your heavenly father. In the Bible, there are 667 prayers recorded. 454 are direct mentions of answers to those prayers. So if prayer, a short definition, is finding the will of God and then praying it, and if God knows everything and already knows what he's going to do, does prayer actually change anything, right? This is, this is a question that we debated in our household before. Does prayer actually change something? Can God's mind be changed? I mean, Numbers 23, 19 says, says God is not a man that he, he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God's mind doesn't change. He knows what's going to happen. He's in control of all things. But I think there's a story that helps us to understand how prayer works in accomplishing God's purposes. Moses, in Exodus 32, goes up the mountain. And he goes up the mountain to be with the Lord, receive the Ten Commandments, and down below, without Moses, the people have fallen off the deep end. They're making idols. They're dancing around these idols. And they're doing things I'll let your mommy and daddies explain to you when you're older. But they're doing things that they shouldn't do. And we pick up in Exodus 32, 7, and the Lord says to Moses, go down for your people, Moses, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves, right? (laughs) Moses is sitting there going, what are you talking about? My people, what are you talking about? That, That I brought them up. Lord, did you not do all these things? Did you, did you not cause these plagues to happen? Did you not Allow the Egyptians to go? And the Lord says to him, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So God's saying, you know what? Moses, go down to your people and see what's going on, whom you brought up, And see how corrupt they are? Leave me alone, because I'm about to consume them. And I'm just going to take you and make a great nation of you. But then it says this, verse 11, Exodus 32, But Moses implored the Lord his God. He came to the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, from whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. So he puts it on God's people. He puts it upon him bringing up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? 
And then he says something interesting in some translation. It actually says, repent. But it's in the ESV, it says, turn or relent. Turn from your burning anger and relent from disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented. The Hebrew word there turned or repented from the disaster that he has spoken of bringing on his people. So Moses pleads with God. And God relents from the disaster. Did God forget what he was going to do? Was he having an off day? Did he not sleep the night before? Did he change his mind? No, the scripture tells us God does not change his mind. So what happened here and why why is this? what, What is God doing? Well, God sent Moses to see the problem, perceive God's anger. Remember God's promises and pray to God and ask him to do what he had promised. David Platt says this, when we pray, we take our God-given place and use our God-ordained privilege to participate with him in the accomplishment of his purposes on the planet. Guess what? God put Moses right there at the right time to ask God himself for grace on his people. God knew that Moses would ask for that. And he used Moses' prayer to God to affect what he wanted to accomplish. You, the people of God in this church at Northwest Baptist, have been placed here at this time to call on the promises of God for this city, for this community. In this booklet we're about to give you, there's a scripture and a model prayer A scripture about what God desires, his will. And we're going to pray those promises back to God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess what? God hears his people. God knows that we are going to get on our knees as a church, as a corporate body, and pray and ask God to do what he wants to accomplish. I want you to go into your quiet place to spend time with the Lord God Almighty to know him because you love him. And as you recognize him as the good father, you want to spend time with him. 
If you look at verse 16 through 18, this is our third point this morning, real quickly. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And guess what? We're going to ask this, this next month, if you've never fasted for, to try to begin to fast. Maybe it'd be one day. Maybe it'd be one meal. Maybe it'd be the television. Maybe it'd be Daniel fast. But I'm going to say right here, when we see this scripture, the third point this morning is fasting shows us our need for God. Fasting shows us our need for God, it's not a reason to fast, to be seen by others, but crying out to God, saying, all I need is you. John Piper defines fasting as a temporary renunciation of something that in itself is good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. Notice when Jesus say in the same way as prayer, Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast. Now, let me be clear. It's not mandatory to fast as it is in other religions, but it is as if Jesus expects his followers to fast. In the Old Testament, fasting is often used for mourning, repentance, deep spiritual need. They knew that they needed God's grace and mercy, and they were looking to his salvation. But after Christ has come, and, and Jesus actually talks about this in Matthew 9, Christ has come, and we rejoice now of the salvation in Christ. And we wait and we long for his return again. We need God. Food is good. And we glorify God by eating of his creation. But we also show our love and our need for God and our hunger for God himself through fasting. When we fast, we taste the bread of life. John Piper, I want to read this quote and then we'll be done. John Piper says this, both feasting and fasting are worship for the Christian. Both magnify Christ. Of course, both have their peculiar dangers. The danger of feasting is that we fall in love with the gift. And the danger of fasting is that we belittle the gift and boast in our own willpower, our own discipline. 
as its best, Christian fasting is not a belittling of the good gift of food. It is simply a heartfelt, body-felt exclamation point at the end of the sentence, I love you, God. I need more than I need food, more than I need life. I need you. So some of you may fast for 30 days. Better know what you're doing if you're going to do that. Some of you may do it once. You may do it one meal. You may do a Daniel fast where you don't eat meat. You may fast from television. You may fast from your iPhone. You may fast on Mondays. It doesn't matter what the Lord has called you to do. But as a church, we're going to show God that we need him. We need him more than we need food. We need him more than we need our social media. We need him more than we need our television. Why? Because we love him. Because he is beautiful. Because he's not a tool just to be used. Because we want him in our life. We want this relationship with him. There's, in each of these booklets, there's a, there's two cards in there. There's one of list of 10 names from people in our community 0.5 miles away from the church. Everyone, if you live in 0.5 miles of the church, your name is in one of these booklets. The other card is the members of this church. And every day for the next 30 years, we want you to open this booklet. We want you to pray by people by name in our community. And we want you to pray for people in our church by name. Doesn't have any information on there. It just has names. I want to ask the living God to do something mighty that he already wants to do in the lives of these people. I want to commune and fellowship with the great God who has given us such a great salvation. You know what? I, I believe that the Lord will awaken our hearts. I believe that he will awaken our minds to see how beautiful and how gracious and how loving our Father is.